pickaxe. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to the Review of Death, your fortnightly home for Doctor Who news and reviews. I should probably say that this is a Doctor Who podcast at the start, but mm. I've said it now and... You, you, you just did, it's fine. I did, so yeah, this is a Doctor Who podcast. If you don't like Doctor Who, why are you listening to this? Bit of a two-parter. Yes. This one, so for the main bulk of the episode, you're going to be seeing a really, really cool chat that we had with uh, Matthew Jacobs, mm-hmm. who was the writer and co-producer of the 1996 TV movie, uh, and also co-director with Vanessa Yule, who yep. we were also speaking to. Uh, for Doctor Who Am I, which is a really fantastic, genuinely brilliant, it was I a think, very good documentary. Um, documentary about American fan culture and a bit about Matthew and his relationship with Doctor Who fandom and a bit about his own past and stuff. Um, it's really, really good, really affectionate, really well put together. Highly recommend mm. people check it out and see if they can find it. I think it's in cinemas on the 27th of October. I say the date in... You say it in the interview. Later in the episode. So, so it, it comes up. Yeah. I was really annoyed. I watched it back. I should have said, this. his documentary would have been amazing for when I did fandom studies at university. Oh, yeah. It would have been literally perfect, perfect because yeah. they spoke to all the lunars that do, that do all those things all the different case studies exactly. the medical yeah. case studies you know like the cosplay and yeah. that girl who was on about regeneration fairies and all that stuff yeah that stuff um, is really interesting because that's like that's a level of fandom you don't see no here. You know, no it's that kind of reinterpretation yeah. of things or it's not canon. What are you doing? Get that off. Yeah. <laughs> I, sorry, I sounds a bit fucked up, but you know. What I, mean. I think that's what Jonathan said when he watched it. <laughs> anyway, oh, miserable bastard. Um, yes. So that's still to come. But yeah. first, we've got to talk about a certain trailer for a certain Doctor Who story. We do. Uh, the Power of the Doctor, which we did mention in the last episode. We had the title, didn't we? By then, we did have the title by then, and a couple of screenshots and yeah. But it all kicked off, was it Saturday, like Saturday lunchtime? It did, I was out. Yeah. And then you messaged me saying, there's two TARDISes. And I what, was like, what are you on about? What's really annoying me a little bit about the way that they put the stuff out is that the first thing that you see is the captioned trailer, which is oh, squeezed into yeah. four by three. Yeah. And it's got all the, you know, subtitly stuff. And it's like, that's fine, but you get about... 25 seconds into it after the shock of going like oh new trailer look at all the stuff that's going yeah. on and you're like and I'm seeing like half the picture yeah. and I'm missing half the images because they've got all these words like I get why they do it because obviously it's eminently uh, screen grabbable and then shareable because it's got the caption in and it and accessible and very accessible um, yeah I haven't thought about that but 
It's still annoying. It's still bloody annoying, <laughs> you know. Um, God, that's, that, we're really just picking we really things are. to take faults with. It's terrible. I know. What's going Let's on? Let's talk about the trailer itself. <laughs> Let's talk about the trailer. So what were the big things that you took away from it? What were the things that you thought, well, didn't expect to see that, or that's intriguing? Uh, I didn't expect it to be as much of a Dalek story as it seems to be. Oh, yeah. The Daleks seem to be a really big part of this, mm. more so than... I imagined. Okay. Um, as do the Cybermen, I guess. You know, because I think it was sort of publicised, especially in like DWN, like this is the, I mean, obviously it's the master's master yeah. plan. But I don't know, I just kind of expected it to be like, sort of like the day of the Doctor, mm. you know, that it's not really a Dalek story. They're in it just to bookend some time war stuff. Yeah but they just appear just to get blown up. And I kind of thought it might have been a little bit like that, but... But I suppose that's the thing with these specials, though, is that you can't really quantify them as... It's a it's something-centric a... story. Like, yeah. Ultimately, it's a regeneration story, and that's the most important part of it. Yeah. I don't know if necessarily it's... Maybe it's just the way the trailer's cut, like, the Dalek incursion of Earth is... Yeah. Or whatever it says. Like, okay, that's part of the unfolding action in the last act right yeah and you know and here come the cybermen yeah, and yeah. here come the sontarans and you know whatever yeah, yeah. um but it, i mean it certainly seems like i guess the cybermen would it seems to make logical sense for them to be logical logical to be up there over the daleks considering it's gallifrey it's yeah. the cybermasters it's the that master is true. it's a shard that is true so maybe that's a bit of a misdirect yeah but i don't know maybe we've just got like doomsday mm you know the rematch yeah yeah maybe possibly. it's a bit like that because you've got two planets blasting at each other mm. um you've got one you've got the dalek death star yeah which is amazing because when it fires that cannon you can hear the dalek yeah blasting yeah. it um so yeah dalek death star which was cool and i think one of those planets is kind of cybermanny because it's like blue yes it's got blue lights on it and is that, that apparently means cybermen that these days. everybody's saying is gallifrey but it's like a cyber-converted Gallifrey. Oh, is that what they're saying? I think I so. saw it and went, oh, is that Mondas? Because and it looks kind of Earth-like, and I thought, oh, twin yeah, planet. Yeah, it's the same quarry from um, the Series 12 finale, though. Because everybody was going on about, they've gone back to the same location that they shot the confrontation between oh, 13 oh, and the Master. It? Oh, right, okay. So apparently, I, was like, I, I had mean, to really think then. I was like, what I was Series 12? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't have identified it. No. Um, so, uh, I mean... That is cool, mm. but I don't think we can necessarily read into that too much because no. when it comes to Doctor Who, and a quarry is a quarry. <laughs> yeah, it's you a quarry is a quarry. That's like going, oh, they're filming uh, in the same Dorset quarry yeah. for survival this year. Yeah, they yeah. must be going back to Seganax or whatever the planet is. I think is it was that and the, the fact that the, the kind of architecture is a bit spiry and looks a bit right, kind of Gallifrey well, maybe, and maybe, but Maybe it is. Maybe the Masters turned Gallifrey into... The new Mondas. Yeah, exactly. Um, somebody <laughs> did suggest that that second planet blasting Gallifrey, uh, blasting Earth, could yeah. be Gallifrey. Right, okay. And it's like the Daleks have finally put a giant motor In a, into a planet, planet and are piloting around the galaxy. I, I like to think that, because obviously the Cybermen had already mastered it. I, mm. put, I put this as an, in an action figure adventure, this little dig that the Cybermen were a bit, better, uh, a bit better at the, the, that than the Daleks. <laughs> but... Um, I like to think that they're having like wacky races. They're like, right, start your engines. It's Who's like the robot wars. Robot, get there? robot wars <laughs> with planets. And it's just Daleks and Cybermen. We're like, well, 
Oh, so we've got the Cybermen from Mondas over here. They've got a souped-up <laughs> engine inside the planet's core. Meanwhile, the Daleks and Scaro have got a massive fuck-off cannon. And then Craig Charles suddenly appears. Yeah. <laughs> coked out of his bin. All right, everybody, let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let the wars begin. Um, yeah, so uh, the, the other thing about the planets, which was interesting, yeah. was people bringing up um, Can You Hear Me? Mm. And the Eternals, and yeah. Zelin, and the yeah. other one that I can't remember the name of. I can't remember anything of that story. But you know that animation that I people do have been sharing. And, it's yeah. sort of, and, and then somebody also mentioned, because I can't remember if it got resolved, and I mean, me saying it out loud, expecting you to go, oh no, actually, I do know the answer to that. <laughs> I don't know if it was resolved at all after it was mentioned in Spyfall Part 1, I think. But remember when they go into the Master's shack? <laughs> yes. Right, so you know he's got his like Wizard of Oz, you know when it's... Yeah, 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 yeah. So when, but when that's on the ground... Right. They go in. Yeah. And there's like a big projector, I think, or there's some drawings or something. But the doctor's referring to something. She's looking at it and it's multiple versions of Earth or multiple planets. All right. And some people are sort of going, well, that I don't think that got picked up on. So oh, maybe okay. the fact there's multiple planets oh, maybe. kind of firing at each other, it might be something similar. But when I saw that animation yeah. being called back, I thought maybe we've been sleeping on a lot of stuff. Or maybe... Chris was sleeping on a lot of potential right. and then re-watched everything and went, right, let's let's see if we can get that. <laughs> Binge watch his own series. Well, you know. <laughs> Kiss my dis. <laughs> um, well, it, it's, it's, been, it's been five years, 31 episodes in five years. You know, there's a lot to catch up on. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, did it, did it increase your level of excitement and anticipation in the episode? It did because... Uh, in the, in the days leading up to the trailer being announced as coming out on Saturday, I thought to myself, I'm really only wanting to see the trailer for content for a podcast. Sure. I, I'm not, I don't really give a shit. Okay. I saw, obviously, the picture of Ace mm -hmm. in her jacket, and I was just like, oh, that's amazing. That oh, is, with the bat. Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly... Really, I couldn't give a stuff that is a regeneration story. I couldn't give a stuff that is all these last people stories. I'm really here for Tegan. Yeah. And particularly Ace. Mm. Um, because, you know, Ace didn't get an ending at all. Obviously, mm -hmm. Tegan had an ending. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't really know what happened to Ace. But, and but I want to just much... point out, because I put a thing on Twitter saying, I've been waiting since I watched Survival on UK Gold in the 90s, <laughs> to the wankers who then reply with, oh, she's been on Big Finish for the last 20 years. I don't give a shit. She's not been on the television. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, I think people forget that, what, maybe... Five to ten percent of hardcore Doctor Who fans yes. actually consume all of that stuff. Exactly. Um, so for most people watching it on telly, this they're probably going to go, "Yeah, who's that?" But then some people are going to go, oh, "She was with the." I'm not, this is not my opinion, but the general public, she was with that shit short Scottish one at the end. The one I hear Jonathan it. running up the stairs. Shit, <laughs> 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 the poison tits umbrella. <laughs> right, yeah. um, uh, I. I'm I'm excited about them being in it. I'm excited for Tegan's closure. I'm Are you excited. Gonna say Tegan's clothes then. Well, I mean, she looks pretty She's good. She's got a good snazzy outfit. Um, she does. A snazzy outfit. <laughs> Fucking Richard, Richard over there. It's a wonderful blouse you've got. On. Um, yeah, I think that she's. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how they how they play it. Yeah, and how it all ties in. And yeah, and how they're involved. But I mean, ultimately, I just think it's going to be. 
we'll cut back to them every now and again and get a couple yeah. of cool yeah. fan like, oh wow, she's got a bat and oh, they've got guns and oh, that, that's a reference I get from the visitation or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, that shot of Ace coming out the in the parachute, yeah. I was like, oh, was that brilliant. is good. That is good. And she's in Bristol. She was, she in, was Bristol in Bristol Museum. She was in the museum. Can we you believe see if it? We can get in there and do our review of the episode in that room. That would be great. Just can we take that painting off the wall, please? Yeah, just to make yeah, it accurate. yeah. Um, so, what do you think of the seismologist thing and the paintings thing? Because obviously, it's a big feature-length special. Yeah. We are a year away, almost exactly uh, next month from um, from the sixtieth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is only ten years since. The last major anniversary story, which also involved paintings. Yes. So, like, do we think that it's uh, the Falls No More painting, or do you think it's the painting of Ace? Like, I don't know. It's all going to be. I've not really given it that much thought. No, sure. I think it's all going to be fluff, isn't it, around the edge, and then. Yeah, I think it just. Just you chatting about can you hear me and Spyfall, and Mm. my brain thinking what are what are these things? Yeah. I think it's, that just shows my level of yeah, yeah, you know, involvement with this series. Couldn't give a fuckedness of it all. Yeah, really, basically. Well, um, I mean, I, I think I think it's really impressive. Like, just in terms of damn, what a seismic change a regeneration is, which is the thing that always excites me about these stories. Yes. That we are sat in this room at the moment, as of recording this. Jodie Whittaker is still the Doctor, mm. but the next time we're in here. She won't to be Doctor Who about anymore. The episode. Not only will she not be Doctor Who anymore, <laughs> but we don't know who else is going to be Doctor Who. Yeah. Who is going to be? You might be Doctor the, Who. I might be. You never know. Um, you know who is going to be the Doctor the not next you, time? You would tell me. <laughs> you may well think that, but I couldn't possibly comment. Um, who's going to be Doctor Who when we're sat in here next? Yeah. But that is so exciting. Um, people have been talking about looms on Twitter. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean. That and Faction Paradox are two words that I will mute immediately when I get back <laughs> on Twitter. I just, I can't stick that stuff. Um, at, like, okay, fine. The looms might be interesting to 0.0002% of hardcore Doctor Who fans. Mm. Um, for the general public, the excess of dialogue and setup that will require to talk about Time Lord heritage, lineage, biology, chemistry, and then what this fucking situation is the Doctor's in with this yeah. cubicle she's in. It's not going to happen. Uh, although he has got 90 minutes to play with and, you know, I, I, he could do anything. I mean, this is a man who did an episode that was 45 minutes worth of exposition. So I wouldn't put it past him to, to have the Master to come along and be like, yeah. oh, Doctor, I've put you in a loom. And then, and then, <laughs> Remember looms? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Let me tell you about looms. Um, what do we think about the space train? Is that just oh, an excuse cool. to keep... Because Dan doesn't seem to be part of any of the main action. No. It's the Doctor and Yaz. Yeah. Who I, seem to be in the main story. Yeah, I mean, there's that, which I think is going to be a good set piece. Maybe mm. it's going to be like a Bond film. It will start off with like a nice set piece on a train. Like how Flux started. Just like how Flux started. Because that was really successful. That yeah, really yeah, set that, that series up really well. Uh, and that looks great. And I think that looks fun. Uh... What I don't see anybody talking about is what the hell is that weird, like... Spindly thing. Yeah, that sort of, I don't know, is that, jellyfish, starfish. Is that time? Because we know oh. that time was... And there's the whole thing about being erased. Oh, yeah, maybe. Do you think that has more weight to it than people are giving it? Because it's just sort of like an, you know, a, a line of like, oh, Doctor, 
you know, you're going to get mm. erased from history. It's like, how many times has the Doctor yeah. heard that? But do you think that that might have relevance to David what back. kind of comes mm. after all of this? Do you think they erase the last three regenerations? What if they erase the last in everything? Mm. You know, maybe I don't know. Does it play into Joe Martin's involvement somehow? Because um, something maybe come out it on creates Twitter. like a divergent timeline mm. where the tenth Doctor didn't regenerate. And so he pops in. And so he is the doctor of this divergent timeline and he has to fix it and yeah. put time back on course. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... With the assistance of a couple of other familiar faces next year. Yeah. Who also not, have not two Peter, hearts. Not Peter Capaldi. <coughs> you couldn't pay him to come back. No, bless um, him. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why I said that. It's just the impression <laughs> I'm not I get. Um, Who knows? It might have been a red herring. But... It may have been. Yeah, it may, it may be. Yeah. Um, and, and then obviously there's the two TARDISes. There's the TARDIS with the, mm. the Joker Aha, scrawl the Joker. All I didn't over know he was going to be in it. No, that's very, very bad wolf. It is. I mean, I saw that and my, yeah, my immediate thought was, oh, the Joker. Mm. Um, <laughs> and whether that's... <laughs> there's a few things I will always ask you to not do again. Paul McGann's voice and that will be and the, the Joker. There forever. I'll be like... Oh, it's going to go full Joker. It just frightens me. Yeah. Uh, oh, Doctor, you've come in to lead my new TARDIS. <laughs> you need to know what? TARDIS. Oh, at least said TARDIS. What did you think I said? <laughs> I don't know. You're the Joker. You could be up to anything. I could. You never know. Anyway, carry on, Billy. I'll do the entire thing as Paul McCartney if you want me to. Just no, right, fine. Revenge. I'm not going to do that. A I? new podcast. I won't. I won't. The Joker that. and Paul McCartney. That would be a the original odd couple. <laughs> um, yeah. One's a homicidal maniac. And the other is the Joker. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for it. I think that it's going to, you know, cause Twitter to have a couple of meltdowns probably along the way, um, as most Doctor Who does. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, and the trailer is, has done enough to kind of... This was the thing. I, I watched it and I thought, that looks really good. I'm looking forward to this. And then... I was immediately told Legend of the Sea Devils trailer was really good as well. <laughs> that was shit. And I was like, yeah, well, yeah, that is true. I know what you mean, but I, I kind of feel like there's more scope in this that it's immediately, mm. immediately supersedes I feel like this, this was the quality. episode that they had all the time and money spent on. And Definitely. then they were told, oh, actually, do you want to do another one? Do you want to sneak one in in between? Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I mean, that's sort of been the line that everybody's toad yeah in, in relation to the yeah the, the origins of that episode it's going to be really funny in in 15 years time when the news comes you know the the story comes out and it turns out that's totally not yeah. true and it was always <clears throat> planned or whatever you know because no. well we'll see ah uh, no i think um, it, i think it was a complete cock-up final predictions uh final predictions i don't know how's she gonna cop it how is she gonna cop it in that chamber, Yao shoots her. No, I don't Dalek, think. I don't Cyberman, think. I think we're supposed. I think we're supposed to think that she's going to cop it in that chamber, mm -hmm. but I don't think she will. Um, she does a good Yaz at the end. Yeah, that was quite. I've, that that I was mean, quite. Uh, I think it's because we've not heard her in that state yeah. before. Yeah, we've never really heard her sort of terrified. Terrified. No. Um, um, but I mean, it was you a don't great ever really delivery. do hear the Doctor terrified. Terrified. Not no. Generally speaking. No. Um, I, I, if that. I mean, I, I, I'm guessing her lips also said Yaz in that scene as well. But if, even if that line isn't is oh, from I see. that bit, yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, the sound, it sounds... Muffled. Yes! Yeah, I know what you mean. It sounds like she's in a glass. Yeah, cabinet. Tab yeah. Fine. Um, yeah. 
I'm still of the. Are you fucking hell. Dribbling all over the place. Hey, we came out of the top of the thing. I am. <laughs> I am still of the mindset that uh, I think Yaz. Yaz is involved in her in her death, brought on by the master's influence. Because because they mention, I think that he's got control, like mm. Rasputin has got control, yeah. mesmeric control over yeah, people. Yeah, like They're pulling on the hypnosis thing Because that's not even in the trailer. There's not really much of him as Rasputin in the trailer, but in the synopsis it talks about him being, about him with the Tsar, you know, Tsar Nicholas II, and you're like, well, that's not even, I you've not even seen that stuff. But that, I, it's going to be a fleeting yeah, thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's going to be like when the 11th Doctor's time hopping and yeah. meeting um, Stan and Ollie and rapping and, all that oh, stuff. All that oh stuff. don't remind me, please. Um, hey, look, enjoy the rest of the video anyway. Enjoy Power of the Doctor, more importantly. Have yeah. fun. Don't hurt each other on the internet. It's not worth it. It's just a TV show at the end of the day. Mm. Um, farewell, Jodie Whittaker. Uh, we'll... Farewell to all those props that have been sold off and uh, oh, children hey. in need. Have you not seen all these no, props no, going no. for children in need? I saw a, that they're getting rid of the a if paradigm you, If you go on eBay, mm. it is literally the contents of a BBC skip is with... It? Everything from the last few series. Wow. They're selling like TARDIS roundels from Jodie's TARDIS. Wow. All sorts of bits and bobs. Pick they're, up the se they're selling, um, uh, oh God, from End of Time, the lovely lady, June Whitfield. Whitfield? Yes. They're send selling her mobile phone from that story. So if you want Minnie's phone. Yeah. Um, which I'm not had, a fan. which had, which had gro the I was just going to say, which is groped <laughs> David Tennant's ass, then held a mobile phone. So there you are. There's some weird by, by, by proxy. Arse. David Tennant ass grabbing. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It could be yours. It could. Be, it could eBay. be yours. It could be yours. Uh, not that we should probably be pr promoting the. Is it probably bad that we promote them selling? BBC property because I guess it was it's all going to children in need, isn't it? Well, or is this the, stuff that's been sold on, on the eBay? Oh, okay. eBay don't go on, on eBay. Don't do that. Stuff. Yeah, but if you go on children in needs auction, they're selling Cybermen suits mm. from the Pandora opens and all that stuff. And wow. Paradigm Daleks, which is the, the I love it because as soon as I saw it up for auction, I was like, that is the BBC saying we are never seeing these fucking Daleks ever again. Ever again. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see the state that that one was in? It was like basically a, yeah. a Dalek spine yeah. and a bit of a skirt. Yeah, oh, Bless. it's a real state. Um, so obviously, yeah, next episode is going to be Power of the Doctor, our review for that, God. Uh, which is so exciting. Uh, and then we will um, have the Whitaker era thing, the wrap up, yeah. um, which you can get your last minute votes in for that uh, in the link below. That will close uh, this Friday, so the day after this episode first goes out. Um, yeah, exciting stuff. Very good, very good. And also, mm. we should point out, because mm. I think you pointed out on Twitter, Christmas Day, Doctor Who. <clears throat> so the BBC News article that sort of came along with the trailer that said... Jodie Whittaker's leaving, mentioned that there's specials starting this year. Mm. So we know that obviously some of the specials material is set at Christmas. Yeah. So Christmas or New Year special. Yeah. I think that's what we kind of thought, wasn't it really? I, I kind of went along with it, but I didn't really believe it until... I, I, I thought Easter, summer, or Easter... 60th anniversary and then maybe Christmas next year. Right. And then shooty starts March, April 2024. Hmm. But, I mean, I it does make sense, actually, the lack of promotion for this if the new Who is so quick on its heels. Yeah. You know, because I, 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 I'm not, you know, this is 
all very conspiracy theory, and I don't agree with this line of thinking because I'm a fan of the current version of the show. Yeah. But it's almost as if, if you were to be really cynical about it, it's like, well, Russell's coming in and he's changing the game. Yeah. If we promote this one too much, yeah. then people are going to think it's just going to be the same thing when, when it comes it back comes at Christmas. Back. Yeah. So maybe it's like, well, look, you know, We've been saying it all along. I, it has I felt like, it, let's I, get it out of the way, yeah. and then we'll move on to the good I, stuff. I, yeah, I mean, I sort of said they later. kind of buried it a little bit, didn't they? Yeah, but. I did. I did um, air quotation marks when I said better, by the mm. way, audio yeah. listeners, just so you know. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I do get a sense of that. But, mm. but I, I mean, that, that kind of speaks to the lack of promotion generally. Yeah, uh, I it's, mean... It's not like it's been any different to the trailer when it came out for... Eve of the Daleks or whatever. No, or... yeah, I mean, like if you compare this to like Flux, mm. Flux, which had this massive campaign. Mm. Um, but the trailer still only the release date was only announced twelve days before that that series started. Was it really? At yeah. least this was like yeah. 19, 20 yeah. days. But, um, but I guess it's just Flux. They created more of a yeah hubbub. About yeah, Flux, yeah, yeah. They? Sure, because it was a, it was a full series. It's yeah. like six weeks worth of investment yeah. and yeah, and airtime. So it makes sense. Um, but we are standing on the frontier, the wild frontier of brand new mm. Doctor Who. It's it, everything changes. I know from, that's going to be it. Yeah. That evening. God, dear, that's very exciting. I think that's what's more exciting is thinking. Right, well, what comes next? Well, that's always how does it all the most exciting thing about a regeneration? Yeah. it's like how are they going to cop it? You know, you you have a good adventure before yeah. all the references, chock full of references, returning characters. Da da da. da. You're going to get all of that in this story, whether or not the the plot or the story or the structure of it holds up under that weight obviously remains to be seen. Yeah. We sincerely hope it does, uh, even just to serve Jodie well oh, as yeah. she heads off. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so fingers crossed, everybody. But um, in the meantime, enjoy this interview with Matthew Jacobs and Vanessa Yule talking about Doctor Who Am I? It's a really good chat. Please stick around and enjoy the rest of that. Um, and we will see you next time on The Power of the Doctor. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We have a couple of guests, don't we, Billy? We do. Joining us to talk about their brand new film, Doctor Who Am I? We are joined by Matthew Jacobs, writer and co-producer and co-director of this project, but writer and co-producer of the Doctor Who TV movie, and Vanessa Yule, who is also the co-director of Doctor Who Am I? How are you doing, guys? Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Doing well. Great to see you too. Thanks for having us today. This is an honor. Oh, thanks for coming on. This is very exciting for us. It is us. very exciting for us. Now, you, you guys gave us a, a preview screener of the movie mm. that we've watched. Uh, it is absolutely fantastic. And as someone who kind of works in fact tent and observational documentary, it's amazing to see such a great documentary made about our kind of weird yes. community, you know? Yeah. And very honest as well. Very honest. Blisteringly so. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Blisteringly honest. I want to put that on the poster. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll write that one down. <laughs> yeah, if you've got enough time to get it on there, that'd be brilliant. Um, so we've got a bunch of questions to run through you guys. Um, firstly, for, for the pair of you, how are you both feeling about the 
imminent release of the documentary. Vanessa, how are you feeling about it? Um, it's, uh, I guess, unbelievable. I joy. I every time I hear someone say that they liked it or even that they watched it and liked it, I'm just like it warms a part of my soul um, so <laughs> much. <laughs> uh, work and uh, energy and parts of our so much of ourselves are are in the movie. Seen Matt give it his all. Um, that it's just it's unbelievable. It's been quite a journey, I think, for both of us. That we're just it's it's unreal at this point hasn't sunk in totally yet <laughs> nice and what about you matthew well i think it's tremendously exciting i mean one of the things that's most exciting about it is that you know this is this is vanessa's first feature film um uh, and and i'm a what americans call a veteran <laughs> um and so 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 and the fact that we've we've been made it's the end of a long journey so we're very happy each day i find a new thing to celebrate um in terms of getting to the end of this journey we've got the american premieres start next week at newport beach film festival and then um portland film festival um uh, and that's fantastic because a lot of those people that you saw in the documentary, they're going to be able to come along and see them, you know, and see themselves properly, but, but not just up in a convention setting, they'll see themselves, you know, in a big cinema for, for you know, for in, a, in, a, in a cinematic setting. And we're so excited about the UK release. I think Kaleidoscope are doing a fantastic job in terms of saying, let's, do these special nights at View Cinemas where fans can come. So, so it's only on for like one night or two nights in the cinemas, but it's still a cinematic release. But what we're hoping is that we'll create enough of a buzz that some other cinemas will just call up and say, can we run it for a week or something like that, um, which, would be, which would be great. Um, yeah, but just the fact that there is a theatrical release of this documentary, neither of us thought that would really ever happened so yeah. we're just over the moon it's exciting very exciting that's fantastic because i actually went online to see is it showing anywhere near me and we live in bristol we're in the southwest of england cardiff is only a stone's throw away and i found that there was a screening on the same day in bristol and in cardiff so if anybody Perfect. does want to go and see the movie i'm sure within a fair radius you'll be able to get down to yeah. a cinema and find it and, and be able to watch it which is which is really exciting yeah, at the moment it's about 14 cinemas in all. Um, I think maybe 12 or 13 on the on the 27th, and then the other cinemas are showing it on odd days after. I mean, cinemas can call and say, you know, can can get in touch with Kaleidoscope if there's a, if there's a demand, and they you know they don't charge that much in terms of viewing. I, I think it's I think it's eminently doable if people want to watch it because as you could see watching it it's very much a film about community um and when you watch it with an audience you're going to be surprised um because there's big laughs mm. i mean sort of really big laughs and then and then it gets quite intense as you saw how long did was it... the process of making this film because we were trying to work out looking at the convention like well what sort of year did this all start i mean we, we think it was probably before covid yes. oh definitely yes. yeah yes well, we started filming in 2015 in Gallifrey. I mean, we were, there were some mentions of dates and we tried to like remove those dates. There's like a couple instances, but um, it, the main filming was in 2015. 
20, some in 2016. And then we even filmed more um, like Eric Roberts. It took us a while to get to him. And that was in 2018. 18, 2018 or 19. I don't know, the, the years are a blur. Yeah, it's a blur. Maybe it was 19. <laughs> no, 18, it was 18. I mean, it was funny for you know, us. Oh, go on, Matthew, sorry. Look, you know, it's, it is funny because people, lots of people do this. They set out and they say, oh, I'm going to make a documentary about my cat or I'm going to make a documentary about, you know, the meaning of life or both. And then, then they, and then they start on these journeys, and and we're we're very proud of the fact that we finally got to the end. And then Sci-Fi London Film Festival, they actually watched it through. The problem was the problem when you set, make these documentaries is they go out and at the festivals they'll watch the first ten minutes, and if it's not exactly what they're after, they don't watch the rest of it. That's basically what happens unless you've got some form of IP behind you. But well, we had an IP behind us. But, but still people weren't really watching it. And then it was Louis Savvy at, at um, Sci-Fi London Film Festival, who had one of his programmers was a Matt Keen Doctor Who fan. And she watched it all the way through and she said, you have to watch it. And he was going, oh, I don't like Doctor Who. Uh, you know, <laughs> and he, but he watched it and he got to the end and he said this when he introduced the film, that he wasn't a Doctor Who fan, but when he watched it through, the, the film is about so much more than the TV show, mm. you know, if we'd have made this film at the BBC, it would have had to have been about the TV show. It would have had to have been a thing of promotion. Whereas we've actually ended up making the film that's something else. So once people started watching it through and getting to the end of it, which they're meant to do when you pay your entry fee to go to these festivals, um, they, they started saying yes. Then Melbourne said yes. Newport. Well, it was the same week that mm -hmm. Melbourne yeah. and, and sci-fi as london said yes after a yes. slew of rejections including like my hometown and everything else and i was just like crestfallen thinking nobody was going to see our documentary ever but then yeah london sci-fi and, and melbourne were in the same week and it was like oh people like will watch it yay it's kind of it's I, it's kind of a feel-good film that's the idea but at the, but at the same time hopefully um it's blisteringly honest. <laughs> I love it. Thank you very much. Uh, every, every mention of blisteringly honest, I'm going to ask for a commission. But, uh... <laughs> yes, every time, every time you do it, you're going to get advertising. Gosh. So, Vanessa, what was it that interested you in this story as someone who wasn't a Doctor Who fan? Well, it started really with just our friendship. I mean, Matthew and I have worked together before. Um, I worked on two of his uh, previous features and we've been, we're just sort of friends. So um, I had no idea that he wrote Doctor Who, let alone the eighth doctor. So when I found out, I was like, oh my God, like what? I just, it just blew my mind. Um, and he had been getting invited to um, 50th anniversary uh, events. And that's when it sort of just, it came together. He said he was being invited to Doctor Who events, one in Florida. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We need to start filming this. And um, so it just sort of went from there. The, I knew Doctor Who from the 80s in the US and I have nostalgic memories of it. Um, and I don't know, it just sort of really started with just Matthew and go, it'll be another adventure for us to embark on. Little did we know it would take forever. <laughs> I love that. We thought it would 
we thought we'd be done in a couple of days because because I I got invited initially to an insane um, convention that got that kind of got cancelled. The guy who ran the convention ran off with the money, um, uh, and, and Sarah, was, like Sarasota, yeah, Jacksonville, Florida, Jacksonville, Jacksonville Florida. Worried about yeah. alligators. Yeah, <laughs> they thought there'd be crocodiles and Doctor Who fans and Doctor Puppet and and all these weird weird things, and it was just like a different world. Anyway, that when that collapsed, it all spread across the internet, and they said, you know, oh. and at that point, um, Sean Lyon, who runs Gallifrey One, which is the biggest dedicated Doctor Who convention, certainly in America, um, uh, he he then got on the phone and said, you know, you should come. We didn't even realize you were here, Matthew. You know, normally we don't fly writers, um, <laughs> so we didn't realize. You were here, but we will fly you down from from San Francisco. And I, and so I said, well, by that time, Vanessa and I had thought we wanted to do this film. And so I said, well, yes, but um, if you can just basically give us permission to make this film, give rooms for the crew and things like that. And then they put put us in touch with Daphne Ashbrook. And Daphne was, have you met and spoken to Daphne yet? No, no, no we haven't. Oh, she's wonderful. She's, she's, she's fantastic. She's, you know, she she plays um, Dr. Grace Holloway in the TV movie. And she and she got us in touch with all the Uber fans and became our sort of guide, if you like. Um, and so a lot of the fans that you see there are because of, have uh, been introduced to us by Daphne. Um, and then we went, so we did that thing at Gallifrey. Um, and then we went and filmed in fans' homes from there. And then in the fall, we went... Autumn. Um, we went to uh, um, Long Island, New York, um, to the Long Ally Hoofless um, convention. And that was a big convention. And we filmed there. And then I did some pickups the following year back there just to get some shots that we hadn't got. And, uh, and we I mean, carried just, on filming. Yeah, yeah, it just took a while, especially neither of us had edited a document. I mean, I have never edited a feature before. Um, and so it just took a while to just under wrap your head around having all of this footage and what is the story. Yeah. Um, and we were sort of had some rough cuts together, but Matthew was very adamant that I had to put my own spin on the film. I had to put my touch on it. And it, he gave me a lot of trust in doing that. I ended up quitting my job to take several months wow. off wow. to work on the film. So it in finally, after several months, kind of got it to its rough shape and we were able to say, oh, this works. And then mm -hmm. from there, we were we got some other feedback. We had test screenings. How do we make the story better? It was like quite a long process. And um, but yeah, you can't you can't. It's very difficult to be working full time and then trying to, like, cut a feature. I'm sure people do it, but my head couldn't handle it. So it was like, OK, bye bye job. I'm going to like work on this and it was uh yeah it was no it was it was a process but happy at the, the process yeah <laughs> we had we had wonderful advice from a, a manager producer called Lee Stoby um who'd become my manager at that time he came in and gave us some good he loved the project and he said well you should move this here and that helped and then we met with uh client up uh, to Colin Vanes Colin Vanes is a is a well-known producer who did things like my week with Marilyn, Gangs of New York, all sorts of that. And he knew me from way back. 
And he, he looked at it and he gave advice as well. So you pick up advice where you can, try your film out, and eventually you go, this is, this is kind of working. We should, we should um, finish it. And then, of course, COVID came along. And at that point, um, suddenly the industry was kind of out of work here in LA. Um, and they were sit- a lot of people were sitting around. And that was when we just decided to just go for it. And, and Vanessa basically, you know, has, has sort of been the main producer, putting in lots of money so that we could we could get people to do the, what score, like Mark Leggett did the score and, and Dave Eichmann did the sound and, and people doing that. But they were and, doing it for below. And also a shout out to David Burgess. So oh my you, God. Saw, yeah, you yeah. saw the opening, the opening animation sequence. Yeah, we love Dave. Yeah, yeah. he's a friend of the podcast. Yes, yeah. uh, you, well, I was we were just searching the internet. We we're like, it would be great if we had a Doctor Who fan involved in the artwork. And he just sort of popped up and oh, he was just fantastic. And so he, he came on board. And, and he just the- left, sorry, he just left university. And so we'd have these video conferences with him in his bedroom and he's going, mom, I'm coming down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go over no, to Sainsbury's no, no. now. It wasn't and do this. that, it wasn't that, it wasn't that. But it was just, a bit, it was funny he's though. Exceptionally talented, gave it his all in it. And that opening sequence, cause we were just, wondering how the hell are we going to pull this off? Yeah. And he came guns blazing or whatever. He just, he, he gave it his all. And I'm so excited. He gets to see that on the, on a, on the big screen. That's fantastic. Yeah. Matthew, obviously the, the impetus for, for doing these conventions for you was, was partly to cover your experiences on the documentary, but what was it at that moment that made you kind of turn around and think, actually I'll embrace this community a little bit more? When I realized it wasn't really um, about the show, that's interesting, you know what I mean? When I, when I realized that this was, this was a family um, uh, and, and also um, as you see in the film, I, uh, it takes me a while, but I recognize um, that I'm just as much part of that family. Um, and that not, apart from being a, you know, a, a filmmaker, you know, a writer, director, actor thing, you know, apart from all of that, it's part of me that loves, really loves watching stuff um, and gets a tremendous amount out of it. And realizing that was kind of kind of cathartic. And at that point, I think, um, and that happened when we were in Long Island, really. There was this, this, they had this, they had this panel on the gunfighters. Um, and, uh, and suddenly I was really scared really frightened about doing it because and I couldn't work out why and really it's because uh, I was connected with my father because my father played Doc Holiday all sorts of stuff was coming up to the surface so it was quite life-changing in that respect but Vanessa recognized it straight straight away it was like we were down at, at the Paul McGann birthday party because and and uh and I was kind of saying, after this, I've got to go and do this other thing. And, and Vanessa said, hold that thought. And then she took um, Dylan Blockler and the team up to uh, our um, hotel, up to our room. And she said, you come up here in what, 20 minutes or something, or half 10 an minutes. hour. 10 minutes, we're gonna be ready. 10 minutes, we're gonna be ready in 10 minutes. And I'm down there with my phone 
And I'm thinking, we should be covering Paul's birthday. And I'm rushing around trying to sort of film him. And then I get back up to the room. Um, and and uh, by that time, Vanessa had kind of sort of convinced me that the film was, would be more about me um, I than I wanted it to be. I wasn't yet. quite, no. yeah, no, you're right. No. I wasn't, I wasn't. <laughs> but that was the moment where, where in answer to your question, you know, is that what, that it was around, that was around that turning point. As we came away from that convention, we kind of, up until then, we'd be going to people saying, tell us, who is the Doctor Who in you? Um, uh, you know, question which we occasionally get some answers to, but it's not as kind of a, a bit of a bore. Oh, you know? come on. It's, we we got a lot fun. of great answers. It's just, you have so many, we met so many wonderful people and they all told us their stories. Oh, I'm not saying that that was well, boring. I, I, I know, but, <laughs> but it's just, how do you string that together? You yeah. need like a framework and you're the, the, the framework through which we meet everyone right. and we get our little nuggets of, we learn something, a little bit of something from every person we meet in the documentary and that it sort of culminates and you kind of by the end or the, the moment of Matthew's realization, it's like we've already learned all these little nuggets of why people are fans or what they're looking for and that kind of gets to the point where it, it, it strikes chord with you. Fantastic. Um, Matthew, you were talking about the gunfighters and you, you bring up your experience of watching your father in the gunfighters uh, a lot during the film. Um, did you stick with Doctor Who before it came back in 96 as a job? Did you carry on watching it? Not really. I was, you know, I, I, I think I would follow Patrick Trout um I, I was still into it then and then i went on to you know other stuff and, and uh, i really hadn't been following doctor who, who that much um so when it when they came to me in 96 you know saying would i pitch um then i then i then i i sort of really dug into what i thought it meant to me um and uh, and so it was very honest pitch doctor who am i was the pitch that was because you remember so how he has to find out who he is so he can save save the world basically everybody warmed to that um, then I just loved writing you know, what can I say but yeah Patrick Trout and I suppose I followed him and and a little bit um, and and a li li little bit of uh, definitely chunks of Sylvester's stuff I I mean I, I love Sylvester's doctor I like them all really I mean I'm pretty, you know, Catholic taste, as they say. Hmm. Vanessa, one of the coolest aspects for us as, as UK fans is seeing the American convention circuit, seeing what those people are like. Before going along and shooting at Long Island and, and Gallifrey One, did you have any preconceptions about what that experience would be like, what the people will be like, and which of those preconceptions stuck and which one of those was, was shattered? Um, well, being an American, I, I, we generally like dressing up and do, you know, whatever else. So I was excited. I really didn't have, I, maybe if anything, because I'd only talk to Matthew, I would be just like, oh, are they really going to come after right, him with right. like pitchforks? Like, oh, is it really going to be that, that awful? So I was excited to see that. Um <laughs> <laughs> 
and it, 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 you know there was some stabbing but you know it, for the most part everyone was lovely and wonderful um i love the cosplay and everything else i'm not exactly a stranger to fandom or you know nerdy fun amazing things um so i was just thrilled i was excited i was ready for anything and if matthew is gonna you know be cornered i would be there behind the camera <laughs> so it was fun <laughs> fantastic so going back to the film, the, the TV movie, because I'm sure a lot of people listening are going to want to hear a little bit about the TV movie. Mm, sure. um, how did that come about, Matthew? How did you get involved in that project? I'd been working for all of the people who were trying to make that project. So I'd been working indirectly for Amblin by doing Young Indiana Jones. Um, I, I knew um, Trevor Walton. Um, and uh, I'd obviously done quite a bit of stuff for the BBC by then, um, and uh, and and I, and and I was used to handling um, franchise um, things with Lassie and Empress New Groove and, and you know sort of quite heavy stuff. I was already writing by then, so it was a very simple thing. Their series, um, that their their series pilot attempt. Had, had failed at Universal. So they needed to start again. Um, and at that point, um, Trevor um, and, and a couple of other people suggested my name. My name came up. And so they were sort of, so it was very simple. My agent here at ICM reached out to me and said, Do you want to do, do you want to do Doctor Who? And I just said, Yes. And then they said, Well, you must go along and meet Philip Siegel. So I then went to meet with Philip Siegel. And Philip didn't know that I had. He didn't know I was as British as I am. Um, it was kind of like that. So, and he didn't know, he certainly didn't know about my connection with the gunfighters and my father, Anthony Jacobs. Um, and so as soon as he heard that, he felt very, he felt very confident. And then I, and then I basically gave a very simple pitch, very clean pitch, which everybody could sign off on. And then it was really quite quick. It was only a few months of writing before it was green lit and then like all productions it's sort of blinking green light sometimes it was on sometimes it was off and then before the end of the year we started shooting up in vancouver so after all of you know for, for it's interesting our little documentary has taken seven years to sort of really get to the screen the tv movie took seven years of hard work to get to the screen and that's what the seven-year hitch is about, that documentary. Um, and uh, so there must be something. So I'm, I'm hoping I live another seven years. Um, <laughs> and, and maybe there'll be something else. There's, a, there's an interesting bit. We've, we've, uh, we've got the book as it features in the documentary itself. Uh, oh, it's a good book. It's a fantastic it's a book, book by, by Philip Siegel with, with, with Gary Russell. Um, there's, there's an element mentioned in here, I think, about an old version of the story that involves Halloween, the master bringing the undead to life. Um, are oh, there any, any elements of those kind of original versions of the story you wish had maybe creeped into the script or, or anything like that? Well, it was, it was absolutely verboten for me to look at any of the previous writers' works. So once I, once I was, once they taped, bought my pitch, once they, they'd done that. They said, we're not going to let you read 
any of the other, right, they've had about six or seven writers. There's an interesting book called The Nth Doctor, mm. um, written by Leficia, uh, who was the then head of fans in, in uh, America. And he goes into detail. And it's an entire book where they're comparing every previous script to my script. And yet the people who wrote the book never contacted me ever. So it's, it was a fascinating read. For me, it was an eye-opener. My only, my only thoughts about the other scripts was that when it came to the WGA, but the Writers Guild of America arbitration, which has to happen here, here it's very simple. If there's more than three writers who've been involved, um, then, then it goes to arbitration and the Guild reads everything. It's a horrible job if you get landed with it. Suddenly you have to read 20 drafts or 30 drafts of a project. And then every writer says what credit they think they should get. Wow. And, I, and I, so I said, oh, well, I should get the writing credit on this. I didn't read anybody else's work. And it's all based on previous doc. That's the, that's the previous documentary. And the Writers Guild agreed that none of the other writers' stuff that was original to them um, remained. But obviously, there's a filtration that happens because Philip Siegel um, had, had supervised all those different drafts. So I think there are things in the finished movie that you know, could be said to, to have come from previous ideas. So you, you mentioned earlier about having worked on things like Lassie and the Young Indiana Jones Adventures. You know, how did working on Doctor Who compare to the other big Hollywood franchises? Obviously, Doctor Who was a personal thing. Whereas trying to write Lassie, well, I made Lassie into a personal thing. I actually, whenever I sit down with a project, and I think most decent writers will do this, they say, what bit, of, and most actors do it, what bit of my experience of the world can I bring to the table? But with Doctor Who, it differed because I was bringing something that was so integral to my childhood um, uh, that, that it was just actually a joy to write. So it was more joyful than um, writing Lassie, which is at the end of the day is, you know, is Lassie, what can you do? Um, and then, and likewise, you know, others, and certainly if you're writing for Disney, you know, it's, it's a, you're writing within such a finite genre that it inevitably becomes generic. Um, and you, and you end up, having to toe the line and there's, you know, you might come up with an original concept and something like that, but then suddenly there are 30 writers in the room and they're all throwing paint at the wall. Um, was um, writing the TV movie more stressful or like, cause there are so many other things going on behind the scenes or is like every movie, every franchise kind of has their own stress level trying to please everyone. I think every franchise has this, has its own stress level. I don't envy anybody who has to take over the Doctor Who franchise. My heart goes out to Chris Chibnall. Um, <laughs> you know, he's, you know, seriously. Of course, he's, yeah. he's, he's done his best. And, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, seven years from now, he's going to be making a documentary like <laughs> us. Sure. You know, and, 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 um, it's, 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 a, you know, it's a vicious circle. When you deal with a franchise that, that you're reviving, be it Candyman or whatever, the expectations are legion. And I think that's, that's the thing that you have to, in a way, not think about as you sit with down to it. You just do your best. Um, but yeah, 
yeah, Vanessa, that's it. Really, is that? It's 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 a challenge, no matter what you do. You you start by laying the film out. It's very very timely that we should come on to this point. Actually, you, you lay out at the start of the movie this movie, uh, Doctor Who Am I? The two sticking points the fans had were uh, the Doctor has a smoochy smooch, which, to be honest, by modern standards of Doctor Who. Is unbearably tame, mm. you know, like compared to what we <laughs> oh, see yeah. sort of later on in the program's history, it's it's nothing. Yeah. Um, the other one, of course, is, as you mentioned, is, is the Doctor being half human. And we have not escaped from the period where Doctor Who fans are annoyed by very contentious <laughs> issues. <laughs> Obviously, you mentioned Chris Chibnall. With him, we, we've had the Timeless Children. Previously, with Russell, we had the Time War and the creation of the Time War. In, in making this, did you get closer to sort of understanding why it is that, that fans really take that change to heart? I think you could answer that, Vanessa, just as well as I could, because I think we both started to see well, that. I guess it just depends. Yes, we've met people who flat out say they do not like that the doctor is half human. It's just, it's just not possible. But then I've heard, you know, Matthew's reasons why the doctor can be half human. He stands by it. Um, I guess for me, I'm like, I, I think it's a personal choice. I don't know if I'm any closer to, to answering why it's such a, a sort of divisive moment or choice, but, um, I'm just more like, uh, okay, I, sure. That can work. How is it going to tie into the story or is Dr. Who? And you can just, just sort of ignore it and it'll exactly. just become mm -hmm. its own little thing. So I yeah. don't know, Matthew, do you have a, a I, well, I think that the joy of the show that one of the reasons the show is so enduring is that it was conceived without a Bible. There were no, there were no, you know, there were no commandments um, when they, and that's why it was such a um, fertile place for people like Douglas Adams in the sixties and the fifties. Do you know what I mean? In the sixties, seventies, they they were people were able to come and bring ideas to the table. And I knew that when I sat down to do it. And I thought, and I think that was why I thought, you know, listen, I really do feel like he's half human. As it's just, it's a childish perception. Later on, the fans don't like it because it's a bit like Spock, I suppose, in, uh, uh, in Star Trek. And they found it was sort of pandering to the, you know, the way in which American, um, American entertainment sometimes really panders to, trying to make characters very sympathetic um, uh, and uh, rather than anti-heroes. Um, not so much recently. You've got shows like Breaking Bad. You've got great shows where, where, where you have central characters who are anti-heroes. Um, so, um, so, so I think maybe they, people wanted Doctor Who to be different and making the Doctor half human was a way of normalizing right. him. Um, that they didn't like. Having the Doctor kiss suddenly was like normalizing him. Um, as my brother said to me, he said, he said, it's heteronormative, something like that. And I went, what? Um, and he went, and, and then I realized, ah, yes, there's, the nice thing about the Doctor is you can I, not only identify um, with his strangeness, but you can identify, he's, he's an open door. So as we've you know, been going down this road recently. So it's, that applies in terms of sexuality as well. Sexually, he's, um, um, he, he, you know, he can be any sex. 
he can and he can be his sexuality can be anything. Um, and I think that freedom should be celebrated rather than rather than uh, you know creating a clan. You know, with a clan of it only needs to be a male doctor. Can't be a female doctor. Right. You know, can't be can't be gay. Can't be this. You know what I mean? The, uh, it, but it's just a reflection of society at the end of the day, isn't it? There was a, a, a sequence in the documentary where you, you visit um, a couple of fans and one of them is quite confrontational about uh, the half-human and the snogging thing. And, I mean, I was certainly quite taken aback mm. seeing it because, I mean, I don't know if this is the, the British versus American fan thing that maybe... We, we just we, let that aggravation stew yes, inside of us. Yes, and we're very polite <laughs> about it. <laughs> <laughs> You no, that was Kevin. That was Kevin, Kevin Kittredge. Kittredge. Kevin and Bob, um, who are wonderful, two wonderful fans. And the nice thing about Kevin is, is he, is he, he, he was funny about it. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like he was hurt. But right. He did say just a little bit. I destroyed his childhood <laughs> um, and, and and things like that. So, but but there's a good humour behind. Behind them, behind people when they're when they're criticising, and I and it took me by surprise actually how good humoured everybody was. So I was like the I'm like the villain of the piece really for the first third of the movie. Just you, you, you know I'm sitting there saying awful things, threatening to draw penises <laughs> on fans, treasured mementos. You know I mean it's not good. I'm trashing other producers. I'm, um, I'm saying stuff. I mean, I really looked like a shit for a while in the movie, yeah. <laughs> but it's funny. But it, yeah, but exactly. It's, funny. it's very funny. Vanessa, you mentioned in the film that your dad was a Trekkie. And I just wondered if that experience helped you, you know, give you that groundwork and that foundation to sort of uh, get into the minds of Doctor Who fans or people who are obsessed over a particular thing. Like, what, to what degree was, was your dad a Trekkie? I'm, I'm, was he donning... Uh, you know, oh. uniforms, Starfleet uniforms, <laughs> and oh, going to conventions. Oh, that would have been <laughs> hilarious! My my pocket protector wearing dad. Um, no, he never dressed up in any of that. But he did introduce me to Doctor Who in the '80s, so that's why I knew this, of the show. I mean, it had come back, but I didn't watch it in 2005. Um, so I, Tom Baker totally remember him my dad was super excited about this quirky british show and so we would watch that um but no he was always into science science fiction my undergrad was astronomy so i was kind of like you know wanted to study the sciences i think it was really just an interest in science and the books and the ideas of like you know arthur c clark or star tra space travel we're gonna mine asteroids and all of these things which were which are all great and based in science fiction and kind of coming true um so i think yes that had uh helped me get into the mindset i i loved x files you yeah know, I, yeah i almost went to a star trek convention years ago and i couldn't because of school and i was like <laughs> mom but i want to go <laughs> Um, so I, I just like the idea of celebrating those pop culture things, however it is, dressing up or whatever else. I was surprised, like, you asked me about a, something I found surprising about the Doctor Who fan fandom, but I'm sure this happens across the board, is the creativity, like the people 
the Doctor Who bake-offs or like, you know, the little trinkets and jewelry that people make and stuff like that. Um, I just thought, found all of that absolutely fascinating. Or people who just make like Doctor Who music and mm. do this, this Doctor Shy Guy or something on YouTube who does yeah. just stuff. And I'm just like, that's fascinating. And I love that creative outlet that people have in whatever fandom it is. Yeah, I think that's something that comes across in the film because as you said, people really go, you know, for it when they put their mm. costumes on. Yeah. And I love the description. I think it's from the lady who drives the TARDIS across the US, where yeah. she says British TARDIS. conventions are like, you've rounded up a bunch of people at a bus stop and shoved them into like a hotel lobby. And it's like, it is, you know, but the people that really go the extra length, like there's that regeneration fairy, there's the Minotaur, like, it, you know, it's a whole other level mm. of creativity and, and ownership of it, which makes it really interesting to us because the American audience kind of have to make it their own because yeah. they don't get the benefit that we do right. of just it being omnipotent and, you know, we have blue police boxes still in London, you know, yeah. and, and Glasgow right. and stuff. It just kind of makes sense to us, it just being around, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, Matthew and I were lucky uh, a couple, well, 2019, we went to Comic-Con in San Diego and showed like a little trailer and it was our, I mean, Comic-Con is just, ginormous compared to yeah. even the con the fan conventions we went to, which were large, you know, several, you know, 3000 people or so, but Comic-Con, it was just like an industry. And, but some of the cosplay that we saw there was also just insane. Just how much yeah. money people were putting into these things that are like 15 feet hot tall or something like that. And I'm just like, all right, this is, this is pretty incredible. Go big or go home. That's kind of like the American way, I, I guess. <laughs> there's there's a pageantry element to it. It's almost medieval. It's in as much as in as much as uh, it's you know you would have people doing processions and celebrations. Now, was it given a religious context, you know, in in uh, medieval times and in Tudor times and whatever. But now that that religious context is not being replaced by different culture. Wait, so are you saying that people do look like they've been rounded up at a bus stop, or is there more? I think so. like, a good question. Is are there more T-shirts happening? Is there more? I think there is some more cosplay, isn't there? I mean, in the UK? a bit more. There is. I mean, I feel like it, out of ten people three to four of them might be in cosplay. And yeah. that varies from, I've got a scarf on, through to, this is an inch perfect Sylvester McCoy costume. And everybody else, right. some people have turned up to Doctor Who conventions in Blake Seven and Star Trek t-shirts. Yeah. You just say, oh, what? what is going on here? Yeah. You know, but. <laughs> How dare they? I know, it's disgusting. I try to move them out as soon as possible, but. Some... I, think, I think I've been guilty of that one, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> So Matthew, now that it's been such a it's been such a long period since 1996, I mean, I was I was four when the TV movie came out. I, I mean, I can remember my brother coming home with the VHS and us sitting down to watch it. How do you Fantastic. how do you feel about the film now, looking back on it as a professional piece of work? What what are your opinions? We watched it at BritCon in Seattle. They have a convention, um, and they did a special convention that really focused on the TV movie. And, and so about a month ago, um, we watched it with Paul McGann, with Eric Roberts, um, sitting there. We were meant to be talking through it. We were meant to be doing a sort of live commentary on it as it happened. But Paul, I, I realised then that Paul had barely even seen the movie. He really doesn't like watching stuff that he's in. Um, uh, and, and 
And I don't think Eric Roberts had seen it at all. Um, because, <laughs> it, you know, Eliza me. is afterwards <laughs> was, saying, was saying, he plays the master, it was, uh, you know, was saying, can we get a copy, you know? After <laughs> um, anyway, we watched it. So we started talking a little bit, but then we stopped talking. The audience really went with it. It's uh, It plays much better. It's like a wine. It's gotten better with old age, you know. It's a, and, and there's a lot of ridiculous dialogue, but it's said so fast and so convincingly by Paul that you believe it, you know. He can, and, he, and, and uh, there's a, there, I, I stand by everything I, I wrote, and, but, but, it, but definitely there are parts of it that come over like a sort of 1940s, Mad cap kind of rom com um, with you know with da- and Daphne she just stole the show when we saw it recently because there she was in front of an American audience she's an American character um, her her speed and wit and the fact that how she sits in the audience's shoes um, uh, as all this stuff is going on around her um, and I use the word shoes you know. <laughs> you know sort of because of the shoe scene really and the people think of think of those elements so there's a sort of 40s kind of like feel to the pace of the dialogue which wasn't popular at that time at that time in the 90s in the mid 90s bbc were doing shows where people were you know monosyllabic speeches very pinterest you know and so suddenly the bbc see my kind of florid script with the sort of Noel Cowardish kind of lines for the doctor or, or, or you know, Oscar Wilde, you know, the life is wasted on the living, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Um, they, they would look at that and go, no, 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 you've got to cut it down, Matthew. You can't have car chases. I'd cut it down. But then Eric Roberts would come back and say, oh, I want to say that stuff. Um, <laughs> and Jeffrey, Jeffrey, who Jeffrey just embraced the whole thing. So my feeling about, I have very fond feelings about, about the TV movie. You know, I, I was worried about watching it again recently. And we enjoyed watching it, didn't we, Vanessa? It was kind of it a joyous thing. I think TV. also there was a panel at the end where everyone was on. It was um, Eric Roberts, Eliza, Jeremy Raddick, um, uh, Paul, Phil Siegel, Matthew, and it was just this whole, it was like a fam, a sort of a dysfunctional family that had the not talked to each other in a long time. And, but it, a lot of things were coming out, but it was just, <laughs> everyone loved the project and loved being there. Um, but it was, I think one of the most fascinating panels on there, everyone just bouncing off of each other a bit. It was, it was fascinating. And have a big show with everyone. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that, Vanessa, because one of one of the favourite parts of, of of the film for me is there's a lovely shot of Daphne holding court on a panel, and Paul yeah. is sat next to him, uh, sat next to her, and his face he's just beaming at her. Like you know, I've seen him smile at conventions before, but I've not seen a smile like that before. <laughs> it's really lovely. So, so what did you take out of it as an experience for the actors, for the people that are attending them as guests? Like, what did you take away from that? Oh, you mean just sort of like the interaction between the guests and the stars? Yeah, and, and kind of like, because obviously it's made out, you know, they're a big family and all that kind of stuff, but there is an admission that, I get to sit here, somebody pays $15 and tells me how brilliant I am mm. and then goes away. And, and that's a very honest way of putting it. I'm not sure that it's been put across that honestly yeah. before, <laughs> which is great because fundamentally 
that is what it is. Mm. So, so yeah. you know, was that a surprise to you, that sort of way of thinking of it, or, or the genuine adoration, the way that people absorb that, that affection? I think it's a little bit of both because it is a strange interaction of paying for a picture, but there is, we, I signed my first like poster at BritCon. So it's the first time I was cool. experiencing it versus watching it. And it's sort of this, this process that both sides kind of understand. Mm. So it's sort of like, this is how it goes, but the actual joy that people get from meeting, you know, Matthew or Eric Roberts or whoever else. I mean, that's very, very genuine. And they're very ha like happy and th thrilled to have that FaceTime. So, I mean, I guess if that's just kind of how the convention industry works, um, I guess it's also a way to keep order, I suppose. Um, it's fascinating, sort of weird, but I, I think the, 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 the feeling, um, it, it it's really nice to see how happy people are yeah. when they get to meet their heroes. Love it. Superb. Central yeah. to the film is the emotional journey that you go on, Matthew, uh, and that you, yeah. you look at the idea that all these big franchises can provide some sort of respite when you're going through difficult times. What respite did you sort of get from attending the cons and, you know, what was that emotional journey like for you? Well, I think I say it in the film. Um, it was finding a family, really, that I didn't realise was there. Um, and um, I, I think that's really it. You know, it's like you don't expect sometimes to find a family. You can find a family in the weirdest of places sometimes. So for me, I think that was the biggest kind of revelation was that this was a family that we're accepting. I mean, here's the thing is when you're with a family and if the family's any good, then the family will put up with your shit um, uh, and, will, and, and will, will accept you for who you are and love you and be proud of you. Um, uh, and, uh, and when you, and when you feel dislocated um, from your country, your original country and your original home, um, which obviously I do from time to time feel dislocated from it. To suddenly find that home in the middle of, you know, Gallifrey um, Convention um, and, and uh, or, or Long Island or, you know, LA or Seattle or wherever the conventions stuff, to find that family of, of traveling fans, as it were, 3,000 traveling fans that go around for these fantastic. I, it was very touching. It was very, do you know what I mean? So for me, that's a, I think that was a, the surprising revelation, if that answers your question. Yeah. And then this is also something that's built, though, because we've been working on it so long, over seven years, yeah. that it's like we've been seeing the same people as we've been making and yes. as we've been finishing the project. You know, mm. they've been following us. So it's sort of like it, the family was there and we didn't know about it in the beginning but even just in the process of making this film that family has gotten either tighter and also bigger and uh, exactly and our first graphic designer who did who did the festival poster that you see here um that's the, the obviously just it's the basis of the poster that that um Kaden, 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 Kaden Douglas. 
Caden Douglas designed this poster and he came up with this tagline, you know, a family mm. that's bigger on the inside. Um, and I thought, yeah, brilliant. You know, he totally got it from watching the movie. Fabulous. We've got a couple of rapid fire questions that have been submitted right. by our viewers and listeners. We're going to put them to you, to you both, Matthew and Vanessa. Uh, firstly, Matthew, uh, uh, Rassilon's Empire asks, do you ever see yourself working on another Doctor Who project? I do. <laughs> very good, very good. Should, should the opportunity rapid fire, rapid fire. <laughs> should the opportunity arise, I'm ready and willing. Super as they Fantastic. say. And why not? And why not? They won't have me, I know, because they'll say, Oh, he's he's old news. Um but but you never know. You never know. Well, fingers crossed. Yeah. We'd love to see it. Absolutely. Um Laurie Tolbert he says, Matthew. Would you have, uh, what would you have done if the series had been commissioned after the movie? Were there any stories that you sort of had in mind that you would like to have told or any monsters that you would have liked to have used? One of the things that I was excited about if it went, to, um, went into seasons was that the old format of, of the TARDIS breaking down somewhere or stopping somewhere and then they have to get out, deal with the adventure and then go back mm. to the TARDIS. Um, uh, and the TARDIS just has one door. You know, there's no like, there's the fact that door. The, new, the TARDIS that we've designed for the TV movie had dimensions within it. And you can see that, hinted at, certainly when you go into the cloister room, yeah. the universe goes, but they can see the, it's a, it, it is truly um, a multi dimensional place. So I was looking forward uh, to having adventures that happened within the TARDIS. As it were, um, where where dimensions could be explored in a slightly different, more philosophical way, um, that was the thing I was hoping for. And certainly, there'd be new monsters. That would have been the thing. And and certainly, the heritage of the Doctor in, um, would have been just as flexible as I think it eventually became. The fact that and we would have carried on with the him as a romantic character wouldn't have seen him it wouldn't have become a sex show but it would have become a, um it would have become something where people where he could fall in love and she and people could fall in love with him there is a tremendous romance in many ways between him and his fellow doctor dr grace holloway um they're both doctors at the end she's one of the first companions who says she doesn't want to come along with him um she says no i don't want to come why would i do that you know why don't you stay here? That's what she says. Um, so we were quite ahead of the curve on those on those fronts. And those fronts are still now. You know, you, you very much, they're very much there in the show now. And I think so. Does that, I think that's a full answer to that question? I, 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 it was a good answer, Matthew. Mm. It was a good answer. Um, Vanessa Arlo McMillan asks, and we touched on this a little bit earlier. But how long did, did the documentary take to get made? Oh, yes. Well, we started in February 2015 and hopefully Kaleidoscope has the finished film um, this week. Fantastic. <laughs> so it took a very long time. <laughs> um, uh, a lot of effort on both of our parts. I did quit my job at one point to edit for several months um, on and off throughout that whole time. And we're just uh, a, a support network between Matt and me, we're just, we're both kind of 
holding each other's hands. I don't know if we were, but it was just like we were truly a team and finally getting it across the finish line. Fabulous. Fantastic. Uh, Matthew Gibson asks, uh, Matthew, are you happy that you're more positively received by the American fan base now that enough time has passed from the 1996 TV movie? And what do you hope this documentary achieves? I'm very happy um, the, with the way in which the TV movie is being received. The Radio Times announced this morning that it's TV, mo it's TV movie month. Mm -hmm. They're going to do a whole series of pieces on Paul's Doctor. And I think, isn't that super? Um, that, that's, that I've, I'm, and, and obviously plugging the documentary, they're going to do that too. So, but um, I'm hoping that this documentary, um, you know, obviously will lead to the next job. It's the same as everybody, it's the same as every filmmaker. You're saying, well, now, you know, gives a job. You get a, you get a, you get another job, hopefully. Um <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. I'm, I'm developing, I'm developing uh, another TV show. This is supposed to be a show. calling card, and this calling card wasn't supposed to last that long. But you know, uh, we'll you, see. You we'll never see. know. So, <laughs> both of us are developing projects. And, uh, and, and, uh, that's, and so you hope that those things will happen. Um, and, we and, I, and I do quite a bit of acting as well for, for Bern, Bern, uh, Bernard Rose. And we've got a film called Travelling Light that actually premieres, I think, in a couple of days in Sheffield that it gets its English premiere. And both Vanessa and I are in that playing funny characters. Great. Oh, great. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Vanessa, this is the final question for you both. Uh, Johnny Brown asked Vanessa, what were the most challenging aspects of making the documentary? I guess either from a, from a technical perspective or in terms of actually getting you guys around. And in and, and addition to that, whose idea was the TARDIS blue Mini Cooper? because I thought that was a lovely little touch. Oh, I'm so glad you thought it was the TARDIS. <laughs> You're I the mean, first person who's really got it. to do, which it didn't come in there, is that we're traveling around, the mini should be like the TARDIS, and you don't know which of us is the doctor, which one is the companion. I like it. <laughs> but we were just like, hey, it was like too complicated. We're like, we'll, we'll, we'll let it, to, leave it to the, uh, the person to, to, uh, to make that connection. But yes. Well I still done. Have that mini blue TARDIS, and it's been in a couple movies now, so it's still going. Love it. Um, so, so, yeah, in terms of the, the the aspects of actually shooting it, the logistics and stuff, what what was the hardest part for you, Vanessa? I mean, the shooting. We we we. I mean, there was an element that we were co-directing. Neither of us had done that before. Um, production. You can pull it together. You know, we did that. For me. Once you're done shooting, then you're stuck with all this footage, and then it's not going to become something until you edit it together. So I think the editing was one of the hardest things that I've done, but I've learned a lot. Matthew's a screenwriter, and so he knows story, and I learned so much from just editing this film. Um, it's such a complicated question. I almost feel like the whole thing of just getting to the end was the hardest um, because we put our hearts and souls into it and all the people we brought in, um, Mark Leggett, David Burgess, uh, Mark Leggett did the score, uh, Eric or um, Dave Icorn did the sound design. All of everyone gave so much of themselves just to finish it. So 
it's kind of the whole thing. It is a chapter. It is like a, a, a journey of Matt and me and our friendship. We're still friends and go out to dinner and catch up and whatever else. So I guess the whole thing, you watch the movie and it's just so much work and it's both of us like pouring ourselves into it. I think, yeah, isn't that? It really is. It feels like that. And, and you're talking about American Anorak is not like a big company. It's just two of us. And sometimes, you know, people don't don't recognize that. They think you're a big company. Yeah, yeah. And you've, um, but, but so I think, so the challenge is, is the hardest thing in some ways when you're making something independently, truly independently, um, then, then having the courage to keep going. Um, is in some ways the hardest thing because there there comes times when you think nobody's really going to show this. And we talked about that earlier, but but I think um, when then when it does happen and people want to see it, then you've got to step up to the plate um, and you know, commit. It's, it's exciting. My son's getting married next. <laughs> stepping up to the plate oh yeah it's, it's this week isn't it Matthew yeah I was getting he's getting married and, on, on Sunday Sunday coming yeah in Mexico I love it exciting it's very exciting and I have to write because it's a sort of Colombian wedding I I have to the, the father of the groom has to write something um, and um, I'm working away on a TV show but but I'm getting really distracted trying to come up with something to say <laughs> that, that, that isn't a joke. Mm. Oh, you'll get there. I have a feeling you're going to come up with something really lovely. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, well, thank you both so much for your time. Uh, you. Doctor Who Am I is uh, out in select cinemas around the UK on the 27th of October. It's out on DVD, Blu-ray and digital download on the 28th of November. Um, Guys, thanks so much for, for being with us. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. It was wonderful speaking to both of you. Thank, Thank you. you for having us, Billy. Oh, my <laughs> voice went all weird. That sounds like... <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> Thank you for having us, Billy. You're more than it's welcome. So, it's been fantastic, really. Thank you very much. That's brilliant. Well, that's it from us. Uh, join us next time when... What are we talking about next time, Billy? I'm sure you guys have probably guessed <clears throat> we'll be talking about something to do with Doctor Who. Uh, and we'll leave it a mystery until then. Yeah, so until then, see you next time. Bye-bye.